0: Welcome to the Activist Insight podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. I'm Kieran Paul, and this month we're asking. What's next in the arm wrestle between Xerox and HP, and where does Carl Icahn fit into things? Was Hindenburg Investments right about Opera's short-term loans business? What does the launch of a new fund mean for old Asia hand Jamie Rosenwald and Dalton Investments? But first, a look at our feature story this month. Section 220 of the Delaware Corporate Code allows shareholders to inspect a company's books and records for any proper purpose, a subjective-sounding term that means many of these requests end up in court. Activist investors have long sought stockholder lists ahead of a proxy fight, but recent years have seen their demands become more complex. Are these mere fishing exercises, or are activists on the cusp of developing a new tool through which they can pressure managements and boards? Joining us today is Yuri Struta, a senior financial journalist at Activist Insight and the author of this month's cover story. Hi Yuri, welcome to the show. So first of all, what is a books and records request and how do activists use them?
1: In a classic activist campaign, a shareholder will request information from the company's books and records that generally consists of uncontroversial information, such as the stockholders list, which an activist needs in order to run a proxy contest. When an activist suspects wrongdoing on the part of the board or management team, it may ask for more complex documents such as board minutes, and even text and emails. If the company refuses, the activist could take its request to a
0: court. So how can then these books and records requests help activists advance their proxy contest goals? Yeah, so this
1: gives them access to inside board deliberations and how certain decisions were made. The information obtained could allow them to tweak their campaign one way or another, perhaps by confirming that their concerns are valid. In some cases, activists hope to use the information to embarrass the company or persuade other shareholders to join their campaign. However, a caveat is that the documents released following a Books and Records demand often come with confidentiality agreement, and courts have consistently ruled in favor of keeping them. This diminishes the potential impact of a successful Books and Records demand. Some lawyers say that, you know, most of the time the activist requests are made just to score points with other shareholders, and not because there is a legitimate concern. Are we close to a
0: shift in how courts think about books and records demands?
1: So I need to provide some context. Courts have been more willing of late to side with shareholders when they advance such demands. Lawyers say this has levelled the playing field in M&A litigation, as shareholders that suspect wrongdoing can request access to books and records to build a case before filing a lawsuit. This could inadvertently create a tool for activists to advance their campaign goals. Lawyers say that each court case won by shareholders increases the chances of activists advancing more books and records lawsuit. So to answer your question, it is too early to say. There are some interesting cases in the Delaware Supreme Court, which is the most influential corporate court in the U.S., What we know is that courts have lowered the bar for providing access to books and records of a company. But lawyers have spoken to agree that the courts are still reluctant to open the door too much as this could lead to a litany of such requests. So could you then provide more details about the situations
0: that we should really be keeping an eye on?
1: Definitely. So I think the one to watch is Occidental Petroleum versus Carl Icahn. Here, Icon suspects Occidental's management declined takeover offers to keep their jobs and instead acquired Anadarko Petroleum, the price Icon thought was too steep. He made a books and records demands to test whether the, his suspicion is true. This is important because Icon said he needs the documents for the proxy contest. The Chancery Court declined the request, but said it might be open to providing access for the purpose of communicating with shareholders if the right case arises, but has not been specific. Then Icon appealed in the Delaware Supreme Court, which now has the chance to clarify the law. Another case to watch is Amerisource Bergen and Lebanon County. This is a pension fund. The Chancery Court ruled in favor of shareholders, but the company appealed to the Supreme Court. So if both companies win these cases, it will be a setback for activists.
0: Well, thanks for being here, Yuri. Thank you. Japan is currently in vogue with activist investors. After last year's record number of activist campaigns, Elliott Management's multi-billion dollar investment in SoftBank sees it join the likes of Value Act Capital Partners and Third Point Partners in the country's stock market. But James Rosenwald, co-founder of Los Angeles-based Dalton Investments, remembers the bad old days, telling Activist Insight Monthly, From 2003 to 2007, I'd send a letter making a bid for a company and they would literally throw it away. Dalton was established in 1999, with the aim of seeking opportunities arising from the Asia financial crisis. Its seven-year campaign at Sun Telephone that began in 2002 is recognised as the earliest major intervention by a foreign activist investor in Japan. Most activists like to target companies with a fragmented shareholder base and a management team with little skin in the game so they can quickly become the largest stakeholder. Dalton, on the other hand, has consistently sought out Japanese companies where founders and management maintain controlling interests and thus may be more ready to listen when presented with ideas to enhance shareholder value. But encouraged by 2016's changes to Japan's tax laws and last year's to its merger guidelines, Dalton is branching out from its traditional strategy of investing in entrepreneur-owned companies. Rosenworld is managing Nippon Active Value, a new £103 million closed-end investment trust backed by Dalton, which will focus on so-called salaryman companies, where the board and management have little or no personal stake in the enterprises they run. Nathan Anderson's Hindenburg Research published a short report on Norwegian software company Opera in mid-January, sending the company's shares on a downward spiral. The short seller accused Opera of undertaking predatory short-term loan operations that were in breach of Google's recently updated Play Store regulations. Hindenburg said that 42% of the company's revenue comes from the segment, which would be cut off by Google once it learned the truth. Among other accusations, Hindenburg pointed towards a China-based investment group, Opera's largest shareholder, as a driving force behind the company's dramatic pivot in strategy away from its core browser business towards short-term money lending. The short seller said the company caught its eye after reporting eye-popping growth despite its once-popular web browser being squeezed by Chrome and Safari. Opera claimed that the report was full of misleading statements, but updated its apps after the report was published. Although they are now in compliance with Google's Play Store rules, Hindenburg has said the updates will worsen loan economics. The short seller said that this will begin to show in the company's financials after a quarter or two and that there was further downside from here. And now for some stories that didn't make it into the magazine. Third Point Partners disclosed a new investment in British insurance company Prudential, The sub-5% position, equal to as much as £1.8 billion, or $2.4 billion at current prices, was announced in an open letter to the board of directors that suggested Prudential split its Asian and North American businesses into separate companies. According to Third Point, Prudential having its headquarters in London made it difficult to attract and retain local top-quality managerial talent in Asia. The activist also said North American business Jackson National Life should strengthen its balance sheet, to enhance strategic optionality and increase valuation certainty. If Pruasia and Jackson were separated, resulting in a greater focus on reinvesting capital in each unit and streamlining central costs at the group level, our analysis indicates that the interest represented by Prudential PLC shares can double within three years, the letter said. The company's initial response suggests Third Point may be pushing at a partially open door. In a statement it said, Prudential proactively engages with shareholders with regards to group strategy and structure and looks forward to commencing a dialogue with Third Point with regard to the views outlined in its letter. Last October, Prudential separated its European business into a newly listed company, M&G. Activist Insight Online reported that other shareholders are scornful of ENA Investment Capital's recipe for German construction firm Billfinger. Several top 10 shareholders told our reporters that some of the steps requested by ENA are not within the company's power to grant, including a return of capital from the reseller facilities manager Apliona by private equity firm EQT. Billfinger also appears unlikely to part with its technologies division which obscured progress in other areas by reporting poor results in 2019. ENA, founded by former Morgan Stanley Managing Director George Konolakis, called for a portfolio reshuffling, share buybacks and an increase in leverage just days before Bill Finger's February 13th Investor Day. The firm first disclosed a 5.4% position in August 2019 and increased it to 10.3% in September, although Activist Insight Online understands it has no voting rights as its stake is held in financial instruments. Activist investor Sevian Capital is the largest Billfinger shareholder with a 26.8% stake and partner Eckard Kords serves as chairman of the board. Frankfurt-based Union Investment and M&G Investments each own a 5% stake. Odo BHF, Swiss investment firm BWG, and Uni Deutschland are also among the firm's top 10 shareholders. That's all for this month's episode of the Activist Insight podcast. If you would like to hear or want to read more, you can subscribe to Activist Insight Monthly by emailing subscriptions at activistinsight.com. For comments or questions about the podcast, or if you want something discussed on a future edition, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using as well to help others access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening.